So I think by access to justice, it's a lot of people think that maybe it's about divorce or um, criminal defense. And I think that's definitely true. Those services are too expensive and people can't afford them. But I also think it's about the legal issues that never even make it to the system because people don't even know that they can fight for their rights. And that's what we're trying to tackle at Do Not Pay. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented situation. Today, we welcome Joshua Browder, founder and CEO of Do Not Pay, which is working to make the law free, automated, and instant. Joshua, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. I've been such a long time listener, so I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And and let's start off with uh, a question I'm sure you've heard me ask many others on the show, which is, what is most on your mind right now? Most on my mind right now is um, helping people navigate the complex world that we live in. I think in the good times, my company Do Not Pay, which helps people fight corporations and beat bureaucracy, is needed. But in times like these, it really uh, we've seen the demand increase by 30 times with things like helping people claim unemployment and all of this complexity in today's world. So I'm just trying to help people navigate through that and get access to their legal rights. And did I get a data point you shared there, correct? You've seen a 30-fold increase in, in demand for your services? In certain categories, and not just unemployment. Um, in 2019, maybe 1 million Americans wanted to cancel their gym membership. In 2020, everyone who has a gym membership in the world wants to cancel. And that's something we offer as part of Do Not Pay. And so we've just seen huge spikes like that. Airline refunds as well. Um, in the past, airlines would actually give you a refund. Now they say, here's a travel credit. Hope you like it. Right, right. So, so Joshua, let's pop up to the 10,000-foot the view to start with. And I'd love for you to just share... Uh, the story of Do Not Pay and, and how you got started, I believe, with traffic tickets and, and traffic tickets, I believe, that you were to start with racking up yourself and, and, and you built a, a bot to help fight those. And it's evolved into this, this huge business. You've got financial backers, some of the very best in the world, like Andreessen Horowitz behind you. Uh, tell, us, tell us the story. I'd love to hear uh, that as a starting point. So four years ago, I moved from the U.S. Uh, to the U.S. from the U.K. to study there. And um, I wasn't the best driver, and I accumulated all of these expensive parking tickets. And I couldn't afford to pay them as a college student. And they're like $100 each, sometimes even $300 in San Francisco. And so I began to research uh, all of the ways you can get out of your parking tickets. And what I learned was remarkable, which is if you say the right things, you can actually get out of a lot in life, including these expensive tickets. <laughs> For example, knowing all the signage regulations and stuff like that. But I also learned that it's very expensive to get these rights because you have to pay a lawyer hundreds of dollars to copy and paste these documents. And so I thought, as a software engineer, this is the perfect job for technology. Why don't I create an app that helps you get out of your parking tickets? And um, I did this just for fun to get out of my own and my friend's fine. And what I realized is overnight, everyone who uh, get, got these tickets started using them. And it went from four cases to a thousand to a hundred thousand to hundreds of thousands eventually. And that made me realize that this area of consumer rights is really underserved by the legal industry. And 
perhaps technology can do something to fight back. And so fast forward a few years and now Do Not Pay works in over a hundred different areas of consumer rights. Everything I mentioned before from refunds to canceling things um, to DMV appointments and also to most traffic tickets. And we have even more stuff coming out and it's really exciting to see it expand so much. So the you came to this this problem as from a software engineer's perspective, you were you're studying computer science, I believe, at, at Stanford, is that right? That's right. And and you saw this opportunity to to make and truly be disruptive, I think, where so many uh, so many companies, so many agencies like the the DMV have figured the the calculus most consumers run in their mind is it's cheaper just to pay this ticket and get it out of the way than it is to hire a lawyer and fight this in courts and deal with all that that risk and cost. I'll, I'll just pay the ticket. And your your automated tools, which you said you know cover over a hundred different application areas now, really really shift that balance and, and disrupt that calculus where it's a completely automated process as, as and as a consumer, you, you just, t- what, what do you do? What do you do to, you know, swipe or tap or download an app to, to actually tackle this process in a completely automated way? Yes. So the software actually talks to you and says, uh, what was wrong with your ticket? And then in your own words, you can answer and then it matches you to a legal defense. It then takes down details and uses all of that information to generate um, an appeal letter, which will then automatically submit for you by doing all the clicking. And I think it's really important because the average person has the deck stacked against them. Um, For example, if you break down on the highway and you call a tow truck company, the tow truck company will probably charge you $50. But if you get your car towed, the tow truck company will say, because you don't have a choice, oh, here's your bill, it's $500. So there's this great injustice and people have no way to fight back and software can actually be very good at doing that. And, and how have you found that, tell us a little bit about your growth. Tell us what your, your growth and, and kind of footprint looked like in the early days when you were helping other San Francisco residents fight their traf- traffic and, and parking tickets. And, uh, and, and, and now you've grown to such a, a huge range of application areas. What's that? volume look like so we're doing we've done over a million cases now across our various services and we're doing thousands of cases every day and um, we unlike most of uh, young companies we don't spend any money on Facebook ads or Google ads or any form of marketing it's all organic through like the media or people telling their friends and um, that's been really great to see and and Tell me a bit more about the company. How, how's the company grown over the years? And, and maybe tell us about where you're based and, and how COVID-19 has, has impacted the professional aspects of, of you running this company. So we're still a small team of about nine people. Um, we were all based in San Francisco. And although we're a tech company, we never work from home. We'd actually really fostered that small collaborative culture. And so um, COVID-19 made us work from home overnight. And there were a few problems in the first few days. But now we're a global operation um, with people all over the place. And it seems to actually be going well. And now we're reconsidering whether to even return to our office. We found a loophole uh, in our sublease that we don't have to <laughs> pay it anymore. And so now it's a question of do we want to renew that or go somewhere else or just remain work from home? Well, was do not pay able to uh, find that loophole for you or did you need to find it yourself? 
<laughs> we found ourselves as like corporate, <laughs> so it's a bit more complicated. Got it. Um, so tell me a little bit more, you know, we, we talk about access to justice and, and I've talked about this frequently. I, I, I do think the high cost of legal services is one of the things that keeps justice out of reach for, for so many people. Can you, can you tell me about how you approach what you're developing at, at Do Not Pay from a philosophical perspective and maybe how you see that working hand in glove with the existing legal industry or, or, or is it working against the existing legal industry? So I think that there are definitely some lawyers that maybe you see on billboards like uh, accident attorneys and things like that, that we are trying to replace because they charge a lot of money for copying and pasting documents. But I actually don't dislike lawyers. I think there are amazing lawyers in the world doing amazing work. And I really see do not pay as kind of a new category that didn't really exist. I think that um, in, in the past, if you have a consumer rights dispute as a consumer, you might just not completely ignore it. It's not like you go to court and hire a lawyer. So by do not pay having this uh, area so cheaply, um, the lawyers can focus on the things that matter, like arguing in federal court or Supreme Court and do not pay can handle copying and pasting documents and handling cases online. So I think by access to justice, it's a lot of people think that maybe it's about divorce or um, criminal defense. And I think that's definitely true. Those services are too expensive and people can't afford them. But I also think it's about the legal issues that never even make it to the system because people don't even know that they can fight for their rights. And that's what we're trying to tackle at Do Not Pay. And I'm curious, do you see some of the issues that you're, you're letting the, the consumers tackle the kind of get their foothold on a legal issue? Are, are you seeing these graduate, uh, at least a subset of them graduate to needing representation from a, from a full-blown lawyer? And, and do you have any kind of formal relationship with a, a network of lawyers that can help take some of these more complex cases out of the out of the bot's hands and into a lawyer's and into a human's hands? I, th I think that it can definitely graduate. Um, one of the things we're seeing, especially with these airline claims, is that eventually there's going to be a class action and we have so much data and evidence of what they're doing wrong that perhaps we should be a part of that. So right now our, our aim this year is to have automated class actions where we're actually partnering with lawyers as well for the institutionalized scams. I should say. And so that's a very exciting area of our business. A lot of the stuff, though, you don't need a, a lawyer, but some of it you might if it gets more complicated or more widespread. So, so let's shift gears for a moment to, to dig further into what you've, you've alluded to here, which is the, you know, some of the broad categories of new, new types of claims and spikes in, in certain practice areas that you're seeing demand for as a result of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Can, can you Describe for a moment what you're seeing on the on the consumer side. What what kinds of action you're seeing consumers wanting to take, and how how do not pay is stepping up to help address that demand. Yeah. So as part of COVID nineteen, the government has stepped in in lots of countries, and they've said that there are these new emergency regulations around all sorts of things. And so, um, for example, in California, there's this executive order that says that a landlord can't evict anyone during this time if they can't pay rent. But a lot of tenants don't actually know that. And so what Do Not Pay will do is it will find these rights and match them to your problem and say to your landlord via a legal request, uh, I can't pay rent, um, you can't evict me, in a very polite way. 
Other things are um, bureaucratic systems like claiming unemployment haven't really been built for the scale that we're seeing. I think 15% um, of Americans are now unemployed and I think it's gonna go to 30%. And so what Do Not Pay does is it actually handles those claims for the consumer and sends them off to the right place. Um, because otherwise you might not, you try and phone the government and uh, they don't pick up and then you can't even get an unemployment check. You talked a little bit about uh, airlines and, and, and people using your system to, to cancel things like airline tickets. What, what other categories are you seeing? And I'm curious, what kind of volume are you, are you seeing if you're able to share that on, on some of these fronts like employment, like uh, travel related disputes? So uh, anything in the physical world, we're seeing huge refunds in. Um, even deliveries, every, everything is getting delayed. I like to think that in this new world, um, basically everything you've purchased, you can get a refund for because in some area or another, the merchant is bre breaching the consumer rights laws or your contract. For example, they say, oh yeah, your delivery will be there in two days, Amazon Prime, but then uh, still two weeks later, it doesn't show up. So we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, gym cancellations, airline refunds, and airline refunds is really terrible because the airlines are just treating it as business as usual. So if you're flying tomorrow um, from, say, San Francisco to London, um, no one wants to get on that flight. There are like travel restrictions and a million reasons why you can't fly. But if you phone up the airline asking to cancel, they will not give you a refund. This is all the major airlines. They will just say, um, you've lost the money, or if you're lucky, they'll give you a travel credit. And no one wants a travel credit for an airline that probably could be bankrupt in the next year. And so corporations are um, using all of these tactics as a lifeline. Of course, everyone is struggling at the moment, but because they're so hard hit themselves, the big companies, they're trying to uh, push that onto the consumer, which doesn't really seem very fair. And so you're able to, in, in these cases with gym memberships, with the, the airline ticket disputes, do not pay is able to automate the workflows to, to help you get a refund from the, the airline or get your gym membership canceled. Is that right? That's right. So what all these big companies are doing is plainly illegal. And my favorite expression in life is the squeaky wheel gets grease. And so what do not pay will do is it will generate this document that clearly says why and how it's illegal and send that to the legal department of the company. And they're, they're making so much money from the mass market of people who can't be bothered that when these do not pay aggressive claims come in, they just see it as a cost of doing business and process the refund and give people their rights. That's great. And do you track the success rate in terms of, of seeing what the response back from the companies is to the, to the consumer? We do. And for these COVID-19 things, it's very successful, like over 85%. Parking tickets is around 50%. And um, so that, that's the sort of range. And you've, you've touched on this to an extent at, at this point, but I'm, I'm curious if you could uh, continue to dig into what you've seen as some of the more egregious abuses of, of consumer rights amidst the, the, the pandemic. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more for us? So one of the most egregious uses I saw was I was in touch, do not pay, and I was in touch with someone who um, couldn't pay rent because they lost their job. And they had this landlord who knows their social security number. And what the landlord did is they 
went on the IRS website, typed in the tenant's social security number, and they saw that the tenant had received their stimulus check. So they texted the tenant saying, um, hey, we've received your, uh, you've received your stimulus check. Can you use that to pay my rent, please? And that's just so illegal for many reasons. And, and so probably that's the most egregious that I've seen. I, I, I think I remember seeing a comment from you on, on Twitter on that one in particular that felt uh, really out of line in so many ways. Yeah, and when you're on this IRS website, it says in big like red letters, warning, do not use this if you're not the person. And so this landlord is probably not very intelligent just breaking all these federal laws just to try and pressure someone to pay one month's worth of rent. Uh, are, are you helping consumers navigate some of these programs like PPP, by the way, Joshua? PPP, I think, is just a disaster. It's up to the banks, not really a federal process. And um, these banks are really not doing very uh, anything good because what they're doing is they put all of these tweets and adverts out saying, we can help you with PPP. They collect an application and then they don't submit it because they're so backlogged or they haven't built the system yet. And so a lot of people are feeling let down by their own bank. Um, and it's not something that we can't, can really do because we're not a bank. Yeah, it feels like, the, the reason I ask, it feels, from a pattern matching perspective, it feels like the same kind of thing that you go in to, to solve, but you're really not capable, I guess, of stepping in and acting like a, like a bank to help streamline that process. It does seem to be begging for scalable technology, which many many banks don't have for this particular kind of program. and dealing with the unprecedented demand we're seeing for some of these programs uh, has obviously caused various parts of the government and various parts of the banks to just come to a, a grinding halt. Yeah, that's right. And I don't understand why they're doing it as a loan anyway. It's just a typical example of government mismanagement. They could just give these businesses grants to their accounts, but instead it has to be this complicated loan, which is delaying a lot of things for many companies. So maybe looking to the, the future, Joshua, and uh, don't want you to share anything about your product roadmap you're not comfortable uh, giving us a peek at, but looking at the evolving COVID-19 situation, do you see new features or new capabilities for Do Not Pay coming out in the, the coming weeks or months we can look forward to? Yes, we always have a list of about 50 different products. Not all of them are related to COVID-19. Everything that you could possibly imagine relating to consumer rights has been considered on this list. And I would say, uh, just as a teaser, the next thing coming out is related to COVID-19 spam. People are being spammed so much during this time, both with like uh, exploitative scams, like here's a cure type emails, yeah. and then also just random marketing from like Bed Bath and Beyond COVID strategy. Uh, nobody right. cares. So right. we're, we're, getting, we're dealing with that spam and getting people compensation in some cases. So stay tuned for that. Uh, that that's great. That is, uh, that is a, some much needed intervention. I think all of us are tired of our inboxes being full of budget or Bed Bath & Beyond's plan for, for managing the, the COVID-19 crisis. When, when, you, when you look at the trends at a macro level, um, I, I think what we see in many industries is that COVID-19 is accelerating trends which were already underway. For example, in retail, the shift from bricks and mortar to online was underway and maybe going to play out over the next decade or two. And I, I think we're now seeing that play out over the course of a, 
a few months and, and retail and bricks and mortar will, will never be the same. Uh, I'm curious if you apply that same lens to legal, what trends are you seeing be accelerated due to COVID-19? And, and what do you think some of the lasting ramifications of, uh, of this pandemic will be on the legal industry? I think that this is a really great time for us um, because COVID-19 is obviously bringing the legal administrative processes online. And we've had situations that do not pay where um, this is not a joke, even in the 2010s, um, to submit small claims court in some courts in Florida, you have to mail them a floppy disk. And these terrible things that are just backwards, like from the 90s almost. And Can so you still I buy think, floppy disks? Apparently you can, um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and faxes and all of notaries in person. And that's, this is really like um, hindered our work because we're an online company. We don't hire people in Florida to put floppy disks in the mail. And so right. all of the courts are now being a lot more accepting. You're seeing cases over Zoom. You're seeing um, e-notaries take off, which is really helpful for a lot of our documents. So I think just enabling from an administrative um, point of view, everything to be done online is really going to spear legal tech forward. So one, one thing I'd love to dig in with you, Joshua, in, in seeing, you know, maybe the, the mismatch between how so many lawyers are offering their services to, to consumers. And, and in some cases, there's only lawyers that are exploiting consumers. In some cases, there's, there's lawyers that are just woefully inefficient and passing on that inefficiency to uh, to the consumer and, and making their as a result making their services effectively out of reach and creating this uh, what I describe as a product market fit problem between the needs of so many consumers and the way that the legal industry is trying to address those needs do you have some lessons from building do not pay that you feel would be worth sharing with a legal industry if you're going to give some some advice on how to evolve the way that legal services are being delivered to tap into some of the unbelievable demand that you've obviously been able to to drive from from do not pay i think that um at the higher levels of the law um it's kind of very bespoke um there's lots of different lawyers doing lots of different things with expertise but at the very lowest levels, which includes consumer rights, but also includes things like no-fault divorces, accident claims, simple accident claims, things like that, it's almost like a commodity. And all commodities, the consumers will flock product market fit-wise to the cheapest option, which is why we've had so much demand, because do not pay started as free to get out of your parking ticket. And so what I would recommend to lawyers is, if there's any way to make your service more affordable or to be more efficient, like using an amazing platform like Clio, definitely do that because the market is only moving in one direction and that's efficiency. And um, you can be like the most charismatic, uh, customer uh, efficient, like in terms of acquiring customers as possible. But if your price is not competitive, eventually the market will move on. And a service that you had product market fit for maybe in 2005, you're not going to have product market fit for in 2020. That's a, a great perspective. And when you're thinking about what you've done on the do not pay front, I'm, I'm curious for lawyers thinking about how, how do I automate parts of my law, law practice that, that could help me scale my service and, 
and, and, and scale the, the volume of people I'd be able to help, the only way you could achieve that is becoming more efficient. Do, do you have any patterns from how you've built Do Not Pay that you can share in terms of, of how you make these processes um, efficient? Are, 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 are you using you know, rules-based systems? You know, is this a, an algorithm? Is there fancy machine learning and AI in the background solving some of these problems? Or are there any takeaway lessons from a technology perspective you think the, the average lawyer might be able to apply to their practice? So I like to think of the law as like society's operating system. And I think it's just one big complicated set of rules. I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with, with me on that. And that means that it's very um, simple in some cases to automate with code. So for parking tickets, it was just rules based. Since then, there have been some basic ML that we've added to like classification of issues. But my advice would be, um, all of the documents that a lawyer does that they produce more than once can be automated and it should really be automated in these times. But another thing that's not um, always obvious is that um, submission can also be automated. You no longer have to go to the mailbox to mail something. There's an API, it's called Lob API, where you can just press a button and your computer will send it and then someone somewhere in this company will go and mail it for you. There's the same things for fax APIs and things. So nothing in relation to creating and submitting documents should be done manually, in my opinion, in 2020. Yeah, document automation is obviously some low hanging fruit. Um, lots of improvement, uh, lots of areas for improvement in terms of streamlining those workflows. Are there any practical aspects of AI or ML that you think are underexploited by the average lawyer at this point or, or underexploited is, is being generous, maybe not exploited at all that, that you think should be more routine? Yeah, I think the biggest misconception is that you need to be a PhD engineer to use ML and AI. And the reality is that um, there are so many APIs out there. There's Watson, Google Cloud, um, Microsoft Azure, that you can plug into the most powerful technologies of the big companies and actually use that to improve your processes. So for example, um, say every day you are um, reading documents, there's a machine learning API that you can use OCR to scan them, or you can use uh, speech to text to make your product more accessible because not everyone likes typing out long things. So those are just two areas. And you can take it even further with like issue classification where a consumer can say in their own words what's wrong with their parking ticket and it will match them to a defense. You can use emotions, um, which is a big part of the law where you can have these AI uh, APIs analyze people's emotions and see if they're angry and things like that. So I think the potential is really unlimited. Joshua, this has been a, a phenomenal conversation. I love your frame, by the way, that the law is the operating system for society. I think that's a, a, a great way to think about it. And, and it is, you know, effectively code at the, the end of the day. I think that's a really interesting way to, to look at the legal system from a technologist point of view. And um, I, I think it's a useful construct, even if it's not one uh, everyone might agree with. Uh, wrapping up, Joshua, uh, I'm curious if there's one thing that you could share with our audience that, that you feel like they would need to know about the impending shifts on how consumers obtain legal services in the future would be? Tell us now. That, that's a very tough question, but I think that consumer expectations have just tripled overnight. Um, 
maybe COVID-19 has brought 2030 to 2020 in terms of expectations. And so consumers now, they're not what going to deal with services that are not primarily automated and online and also very cheap. So if you have been holding back and keeping the 1990s or early 2000s strategies, it's, it's been working, but uh, slowly declining, it's now declined a lot more. So I think the legal industry has been shifted by 10 years and people are going to have to adapt to that. I fully agree with you on that observation. And I, I, I think that it's a, a huge opportunity for lawyers that can navigate this new landscape with, uh, with clarity and shift to these new consumer expectations as, as rapidly as possible. And, and there's as with any crisis, there's going to be winners that emerge from from this crisis and and losers. And I do think that what will separate those two is adoption of technology and and really being customer centric in the way that they're delivering their their legal services. Um, this has been terrific, Joshua. Thanks so much for for joining us today. Enormously insightful uh, conversation, and keep up the great work at Do Not Pay. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com.